Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten, he wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black moustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. And that belongs to our guest. He joins us now on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Joining Saturday's suckage is our deluxe baseball writer from the Chicago Tribune, Mark Gonzalez. Gonzo, how are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you young men doing? We, we young men are doing just fine. Everyone's young compared to the new White Sox manager. Roundly, <laughs> roundly well booed done. us. Wanley Boot is a higher. The process was like Rick Hahn. I don't know why he didn't just quit because he said we reached a consensus. And a consensus was as soon as Jerry Reinsdorf said, I want Tony La Russa, that's when Rick turned over his notes and backbone and said, Here, here you go. Here's our consensus. That's it. So you wrote in the Chicago Tribune and on chicagotribune.com backslash sports. Tony La Russa is the right hire for this team right here, right now. Share with the class why, Gonzo. I think this franchise is at a point where they need to get somebody that can get them over the top. And you look at what happened the last three weeks of the season, how that unfolded. And the guy they hired now is the guy who can fill that gap, not only from a wins and, and losses standpoint and, and get them to the title, but also make these guys better players. And I think if you look at LaRusso's track record, he's, he's done that, especially with the A's when he took over. Uh, and also, I think bringing an edge 
And, and I know when I, I wrote that, they hadn't had an edge since Ozzie Guillen. I wasn't trying to slam Robin Ventura because uh, Robin didn't have the players. Let's face it, he had he had a bad blend of guys who were in, in the twilight of their careers and young guys who just weren't going to put them over the top. I mean, how can you win with a guy like J.B. Shuck and those, those type of guys? Uh, and I think Tony at this point brings that brings those intangibles that they need right now. And I'm sure, you know, I, I understand all the complaints. They're, they're valid or, or questions, especially as it relates to uh, players uh, expressing themselves and all that. Well, with the A's, I can tell you, I saw it firsthand where, you know, Ricky Henderson w- w- would, would take his time around on the bases. I remember one time Dave Parker hit a home run, and before he got to first base, he ran out of the first base coach's box. That tells you how exaggerated his uh, – his pimping was going around the bases. So, uh, you know, the, the one thing with Tony is he's going to bring that edge where he's going to keep an eye on the other team. But as far as zone guys, he might look the other way. And I think that that edge is really what this team needs at this point. Yeah, man. And I even go back to the you mentioned the characters left and right on the Oakland teams even on the 1983 White Sox if you want to really go back to that there was a ton of characters on that team as well who had their own lives and personalities and I don't remember I was a youngin but I don't remember a whole lot of stories about Tony La Russa trying to discipline that team or trying to make them not be themselves so I don't know, Gonzo. This might just be a case of getting to spring training and then a lot of this stuff goes away once once the players believe that Tony La Russa is not what they might think he is. You know, he he, he thought about this long and hard. I know that because I talked to some people um, who we contacted uh, before this thing went forward. So it wasn't like he just jumped out of bed and said, hey, whatever you want, Chairman, I'm all, I'm all in. He thought about this long and hard, and I don't think uh, – he would have gone into this uh, 100% unless he really had uh, the backing and, and self-assurance that he was going to do what he was hired to do, and that's, that's when a uh, World Series for the chairman. Our guest is Mark Gonzalez, deluxe reporter, covers the Cubs for the Chicago Tribune. He's covered a lot of baseball in a lot of cities, and he uh, believes Tony Russa is the right hire for the White Sox, I'm really conflicted about this, and I can I'm I'm coming up with arguments with on both sides. And one of the things I thought of was that it Ozzie Guillen was never going to be manager of the White Sox if it was up to the GM at the time, and the chairman pushed Ozzie pushed the GM to at least interview Ozzie Guillen, and he pretty much walked out of there with the job. So there's a bit of a history there, but at the same time. The chairman and his family have supported Terry Bevington and Jim Boylan, and you just stamp schmuck on all their foreheads for that. And I I look at Jack McKeon, should have had nothing to do with the the Marlins. I mean, there couldn't have been a bigger age gap. The Marlins were a team that needed a treat parent, and here comes McKeon at 70-something years old, and he does that. And and the Blackhawks firing a legend, and everybody's crying over Dennis Savard, and they're bringing in a savvy tactician, a really good bench coach, a game coach, a guy who knows what's going on in the game in front of him with the players he has in Joel Quinville. So I keep waffling back and forth on this, and I guess we won't know whether LaRusse has lost anything off his mental fastball until we see him in action during games. And, and I... And I know that the bullpen's going to be an issue. It always is. 
imagine him dealing with the three batter minimum as a guy who made the walk after every batter, if not every pitch sometimes, with a bullpen, Gonzo. Yeah, well, you know, he's had a year to examine that uh, from an uh, administrative standpoint, as an executive standpoint. So uh, I'm sure he's, that's crossed his mind because I think all along, and he has said this before, that uh, the managing aspect has never left him. And yeah, you're always thinking, uh, what would you do in this situation and all that? So I think he's, he's prepared from that standpoint. It's just a matter now of uh, that spontaneous decision. Okay, have you thought out uh, what your situation is, who are your options, and what are the ramifications? I think he's prepared in that standpoint now. It's up to him and his staff to identify uh, who can we get, who are the relievers that can uh, satisfy the three batter minimum in, in those situations. Gonzo, is a potential consolation prize on this for White Sox fans? The Sox fans, I mean, like, just looking at the text line now and throughout the week, so I, I have not come across too many real White Sox fans that are behind this move at this point. With Tony supposedly having to take his time to think about this, knowing that everything was going to be right, do you think that one of the things that comes with Tony La Russa is the White Sox going big this offseason in terms of potential free agents and really taking it to the next level with the players on the field? I think so. I think he wouldn't get be involved in all this unless he had some assurances that uh, they were going to address some areas. You know, starting pitching is one uh, that people have mentioned, and, and I, I agree with that. It doesn't have to be the big-ticket guy that everybody's talking about, but it would be somebody who – uh, is going to fill that spot and fit in well with this uh, current group they have right now. Uh, one thing I want to add is that, and I, and I didn't mention this in my in my column, and I should have that. You know, Tony Larusa in big games is, is, is his managing has been amazing, and, and in the point, uh, Roger Clemens, when he faced Tony Larusa teams of the A's from 1986 to 1993, was four and nine against Larusa's teams, and he had a two point. 5-4 ERA in those games. So Tony found a way to beat Clemens, whether it be one nothing or 5-4. Talking with Mark Gonzalez, deluxe baseball reporter for the Chicago Tribune, talking about Tony La Russa being hired by the White Sox. Gonzo has written that he believes La Russa is the right hire. One of the issues, I guess we don't know how it plays out, Gonzo. And again, I'm conflicted. I go back and forth on this. Larusa sounds like an actively ignorant human being when he talks about players protesting and Colin Kaepernick, uh, what he said in 2016, what Larusa said in 2016, and what he said earlier in 2020, that it's disrespect for the flag. When in fact it was nothing to do with the flag or the troops, it was suggested to Kaepernick by a Green Beret who said, you have, we fought for, the, for your right to protest against the way minorities are being treated in what essentially feels like a police state. And that, that is something that LaRusso looked, sounded actively ignorant about. He did not sound like he did himself any favors the other day in the press conference trying to, to explain that if it's sincere, he's okay with protests and showing enthusiasm and acting out however it is and part of the thing was the question was asked 
well, how does this old guy get to decide what's sincere and what's not? And the answer, part of the answer is, that's what a manager does. And just because he gets to decide it and enforce some discipline, perhaps, doesn't mean he has to. And I don't know how, that's as nuanced as I can get on that. Lasorda, Lasorda. LaRusa may see it, but he may not do anything with it. <laughs> and I don't know how he's going to react to to players. The biggest question is the age gap is not just that, but it's the the, the protest gas. What, gas. what are these guys protesting against? Do I understand it? Do I have empathy? He has not sounded like a man who's empathetic to a cause and had to come out and say, I was not a racist bone in my body. Usually when you have to say that, you've got a really good history, a really big history of charges being brought against you. So how do you square all that, Gonzo? Uh, he's going to be held to the, to, the, to the coals on that one for sure. Because, uh, let's, you know, let's face it, we're in 2020 right now. There's a lot of civil unrest going on. And, you know, what he said doesn't doesn't mesh with 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 what people are feeling here at least the majority are so so i mean your points are very very valid and he's going to be scrutinized uh about that as much as he is about whether they keep uh, lucas giolito in in the eighth inning with the bags loaded trying to protect a one-run lead so um your point's very very valid and, and so your, your colleagues there have made pointed that out for, for many many days so i'm very curious to see how how that plays out during the year, but I mean, absolutely, uh, I could have, I could have been better satisfied with a more convincing answer than what he said. Can I ask you a Cubs question? <laughs> sure. Sweet. The the question is, where are you going to try to go get a John Lester beer tonight <laughs> that he's buying? That's the question, Gonzo. Yeah, that is that is a good question. Yeah. Um, or we could ask about infielder Max Schrock, who was claimed off of waivers from the Cardinals. But um, yeah, actually, no, I, I, I want to, I, I do want to ask you about Lester. And here's the, here's the part, not necessarily the, the emotions of Lester and all of that. I keep hearing like everybody, every once in a while, I hear in parentheses like it's possible that the Cubs could bring John Lester back. Is is that true? Because it sounds like Lester is having a going away party at every stop he gets. I think he's a realist. He knows that, you know, anything's possible. He's been down the the uh, free agent road once. He's also seen a lot of his players uh, not not finish their careers on their terms. You know, John Lackey wanted to pitch one more season, but he also wanted a big league deal and only got a minor league offer from the Diamondbacks. And, you know, Jake Peavy also wanted to pitch one more season, didn't get any offers. So he knows uh, the brutal landscape that's out there. Uh, but, at, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's going to be patient toward the, the Cubs in terms of how this plays out because we don't know the severity of the financial landscape, what, how much money is out there. I think the big thing, though, more than money, is where, what team, uh, where does he get the best opportunity to get those seven wins to reach the 200 mark and also pitch for a contender? I think those things are weighing on, on John's mind. I, I hate to speak for him, but that those are my thoughts on uh, what's going on. And, and also the biggest thing I think for John is uh, there's not a be- better comfort zone for him than with the Cubs because I think they handled him so well uh, to get as much as they could out of him this year, especially starting from the standpoint of uh, easing him into the rotation, not putting him, you know, at the front, 
giving him an occasional rest here or there, uh, monitoring his pitch count. I thought Tommy Hadovy and David Ross did a, an exceptional job of handling his workload. So um, I think that's one thing he's got to think about if he wants to move forward. And then for the Cubs, uh, with so many questions about the rotation, uh, where does John fit in, especially if they're able to make a trade and, and get some guys who can really solidify uh, that rotation. And uh, is he satisfied having a fight for a fifth spot? You know, maybe he deserves better than that, considering what he's done in his career. But, you know, the bottom line are our wins. Gonzo, how legitimate are the Braves in the Leicester sweepstakes? And what about the Sox going after Jose Quintana as somebody who is not Gio Gonzalez? I would think that in the case of John Lester, I think that's a pretty good fallback for him. I've also seen where Adam Wainwright, the guy that the Braves are interested in. in. So, and the Braves also were interested in John prior to him signing with the Cubs. There were some other matters that came up that swayed John toward the Cubs, but the Braves were definitely interested in him. As far as Jose Quintana goes uh, with the White Sox, I thought that was a natural fit for him to come back before Don Cooper was dismissed. So uh, we'll have to see how it plays out, but I think there's definitely a, a nice comfort there with the White Sox, and, and uh, depending on who comes back to that staff, and the familiarity with with Jose, I think that might be a good landing spot for him. Okay, Gonzo, we we appreciate your time. Thanks for weighing in. Thanks for sharing your Tony Larusa thoughts. We wish you a deluxe weekend and a deluxe Halloween. Back at you, boys. All right, See you, man. thank you. That's Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune. He is the deluxe Cubs writer there. Um, Scott Ritchie of the, I, this was, Shannon Ryan retweeted Scott Ritchie of the News Gazette in Champaign. Um, the Illini, Lovey Smith's Illini, have been, were in the red zones three times today. And the first time was personal foul, took him out of field goal range. Second time, there was an interception. Third time, there was a fumble. So, Lovey Smith might be fired by the next time they get into the red zone. <laughs> just, oh, my God. This is just um, awful. You know, we should have you know, lobbied the Big Ten never to play ever again, in fact. this is There is some true irony going on here because somebody had texted us earlier saying, imploring us not to give updates on the Illinois-Purdue uh-huh. game because they were taping it. And I thought to myself, you ain't got to worry about that on this show because we don't do college football, you and I. And right. so it is ironic that you just gave an update. Well, that's okay. Maybe it can all turn around. Maybe it could be the Mir- the Maryland miracle with uh, Lovey Smith doing that. And good luck to you <laughs> thinking that. So. By the way, one other thing on the White Sox. My good buddy, White Sox historian Dan Dorfman. You know Dan a little oh, bit, yeah, don't you? Oh, yeah, sure. The yeah. New, newly crowned 50-year-old. That's right. That's right. Dan is 50. Don't tell him that, though, because he doesn't like hearing about that. He, he did old... appreciate. Yeah. He did appreciate okay, yeah. the idea of what you did last week for him. Oh, absolutely. I got. Yeah. I had to set my guy. Hey, I got to set my older friends up. You know what I'm saying? Chicago oh, Cut nice. Steakhouse. That's where he went yep. with the crew. Nice. <laughs> anyway, nice. Um, so Dan Dorfman, White Sox historian, and he truly is. This guy, like, he's got a mind, a baseball mind like none other. He, he showed me a text that he got from an 87-year-old friend of his that uh-huh. said, and I'm not even kidding, what the hell are the White Sox thinking in hiring Tony La Russa? 
Oh, your 87-year-old friend Dorfman's an ageist. <laughs> exactly. I thought that was that was the best best tweet text comment yes, article no that I have seen on any of this. All right. Well, we'll try to get an answer what the hell they were doing. There's somebody who feels the opposite of Gonzo. He's Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine. He'll be with us around 12:40 or so. This is Saturday suckage, and top of the hour we will do what are you doing, Wegner? And we have. We have a massive celebrity passing for that. And now that Trash Panda has left and Rick Camp is here, one of the co-founders of the I'm Fat podcast, we have a perfect Halloween discussion that Rick can Great. weigh in on. See what I did there? Yeah. That was I, I didn't. Good. I didn't get that, actually. I, I did, no, yeah. I didn't think you Because <laughs> you've never you heard that before. No, I've never heard that. Yeah. But All right. Well, that's it. So uh, we're going to leave now. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and we have, we have nonsense. We also have Jimmy Kimmel asking a wonderful question of the world champion Dodgers. So we'll see if we can get to that as well. Rosenblum and Grody, it's Saturday Suckage, Halloween edition. Let's do the time warp again. Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. Rick Camp and I were just having a wonderful talk um, as sort of our Halloween pregame show, and... Time warp sparked. I knew, I knew it was controversial, but Mark, I I found out from Rick, who is a marching band legend. Well, Rick, you share the story with Mark because I just I, this was the surprise opening to school, and it was certainly the opening number nobody expected. So in 2004 was my freshman year in the NIU marching band, and. The band was in kind of a transition year because the old director had left like in an oddly short amount of time before school started. So we had an interim director who I think probably figured, hey, this is my one time to be in charge of things. So let's, you know, throw caution to the wind. And we did the Rocky Horror Picture Show as our last show of the year. And we got booed off the field because not enough people got the bit. It was... You know, you have a bunch of people, and then you have people dressed up in uh, in costume and everything, and you have a white guy out there in a gold Speedo at night when the lights are on the field, and it's difficult to tell that he's wearing a gold Speedo. So, yeah. And we Frank, Frank, and, Fert, Frank yeah. and Furter also had the garter belt and the black stockings, and Magenta and Riff Raff were, were a look, um, and... Brad and Janet, damn it, Janet, um, would eventually get stripped down. So there was quite the the options there. Rick, when were you in the, what year did this take place? 2004. Which is three decades after Rocky Horror came out. And Rocky Horror took about three or four years to become a cult classic, so a quarter of a century. And you had people in the stands who didn't understand what was going on. And this guy got fired for it yeah uh i mean i'll be honest i had never seen it before i had heard of it but i had never seen oh. it until it was part of the show 
So I wanted to well, have Steve, the context. Steve, you just said it, man. It, it is a cult following. I mean, I the only reason I this is going to sound bad. The only reason I knew about it in high school, I had a, um, I had some weird friends. I had like a clique of friends that that were actually I was in Marching Man as well for for four years at Lake Park, and I had some friends that I can. They were like in high school, and I'm friends with them to this day. But they were considered the out, like, they listened to The Cure when The Cure was just for the people that were into it, man. Um, and I, they dragged me to see Rocky Horror. And I didn't get it, but it was like, oh, my God, everybody's yelling at the screen and everybody's participating. And it was, <laughs> it was I, I never quite got into it. And maybe that's on me, but I, I only know it because I had influence from from a certain sector of my friends in high school that were totally into it. And I had to go. And, Mark, you're going to love this. This is awesome. Come on, man. We'll listen to The Cure. We'll smoke a cigarette. Then we'll go see Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, but that's how cult classics work. That's yeah, why there are midnight so. showings of things like that. There are people who go to see the people who dress up. Then there are the people who dress up and they go... They stand on the apron of the theater next to the when, when it's their scene to be whoever that is. That's the way it works. The show within the show, the show outside of the show. That's how cult classic works. That's how you get inoculated or not inoculated. You can't get inoculated or something like that. That's how you get initiated. That's it. And, and inebriated, perhaps. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> there is that. We and so that's what it's all. It was this week. I had, I was having lunch with the diva who is leaving to go back to LA. She's been in this month. Her brother got married, and and she was she was here for a month and saw a bunch of friends. And I got to spend time with her. Which had no idea when that would be happen, but there was a lot of masked up time and lunches. <clears throat> and her mother's birthday is tomorrow, and so every Halloween was a birthday celebration. Oh, and I nice. found out, I did not recall that one year the diva was dressed up as Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah, okay. Neat. Magenta apparently had an incestuous relationship with Riff Raff, who answered the door Ooh. to Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon in the movie. Not and neat. so the diva says, yeah, I dressed up as Magenta. Real good message there. <laughs> that's hilarious like it was going so well until yeah that part so okay so i don't i you know i i i don't know i have you seen a lot of people me. dressed up this year i do not i know jj stankovitz was joining i've seen this he he has the leaf blower as part of his candy shoot idea people with second stories are delivering candy for kids dressing up i know a lot of kids there were signs that, not signs, but there were people doing it, kids doing it with parents as socially distanced as you could during the daytime yesterday. So you could see where you had to keep social distance and a lot of people were giving out candy through the candy shoots, just dropping candy down or leaving it on a, a table out front. And there was one video yesterday I saw of a kid dressed, it must have been in Atlanta, a kid is dressed in Freddie Freeman's outfit, and he's standing on the near the curb, and here comes a, an old, a, a big guy who happens to be Freddie Freeman carrying his, his toddler, and he looks at the kid, 
And he says, oh, you're going out as me? And the kid looks <laughs> up and it, you imagine what he's thinking. That's Freddie Freeman. Oh, you're going out as me. And That's then awesome. mom and dad, That's mom awesome. or dad figured it out. And then you can see the video and Freddie Freeman leans over and puts his arm around the kid and just, oh my God, this is, what a great thing that is. So I don't know that how many people cool. are, are going out, how many people are dressing up. I, I, I just know that this, this year especially, if you, you really had to buy candy that you like yourself because you knew there'd be a bunch left over and this would be a good year to buy all the candy you love and turn out your lights as if nobody's home because nobody, I don't think there's going to be a lot of trick-or-treating. That's the way yeah. I do it. No, I think th that, this is uh, the year that you say, you know what, I love kids, so I'm going to go full-size candy bars. <laughs> anybody who comes out, hey, they get that full-size candy bar, but if they're yeah. if they're not there, then oh darn, I'm just stuck. Yeah, with okay, them. kid. Yeah, right. kid. Is your life is your life worth a full-size candy bar? What price do you put on it? Nice, Rick. I thought really? uh, Parco Parco put it pretty well yesterday. Danny Parkins of the Parkins Show. He said that this year's Halloween, kids will dress up, but it is solely for the Instagram photo, and that's it. You know, so they so everybody can okay. post their pictures of their kids on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, wherever, and then there you have it. So I thought that I, I was put pretty perfectly. Yeah. Well, they might. I don't think that's true. Or they may have arranged. I think they'll. You can arrange with neighbors or wherever the kids are in school. True. With, and you can dance around if there's a cul-de-sac. You can say, okay, we'll be. You almost like you're making a reservation or an appointment. I'm going to be at your house then. This. You can do that. I think they'll let do as much of the experience as possible. I just got a, a text from the diva. OMG, Dad, you told the magenta story. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, did. I, just, that's, I was as surprised awesome. as the audience was. There were Anyways. there were a uh, there were a few babes walking around the city last night in the you know in the Halloween costumes, but not the clusters were not there as much as they usually are. Um, well, what were they usually dressed as in the heyday of babes, and what did they? What were the? What was their choice this year? I'm looking at, at how the I babes were know. seeing themselves. You know, because they were they were coated up usually because it was cold last night. So I mean, I literally only saw like a couple of clusters of people walking out oh. to apparently going to to. I will say this: um, the. I'm, what was the Tiger documentary this year on... Uh, Tiger King. <laughs> Tiger King, yes. I will say this. My <laughs> friend, my friend who broadcast for the Chicago Bears on ChicagoBears.com and Lauren Screeden dressed up as the the woman from Tiger King. Um, what's her? Scott Carol really Baskin. Bit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> struggling here. Carol Baskin. And you it think is Rich, you awesome. think Rick has watched this on rerun and repeat and all that? How many times? Well, I think we've it? all seen it. I'm just my brain I'm is not. just not working right now. But I it's great. It's I, I'd forgotten about Carol Baskin. It feels like everything feels like it was like five years ago when we were all <laughs> sitting true. around watching that. I'd forgotten about her and then I saw Lawrence on Instagram and I was like, that is fantastic i mean of course of course carol baskin okay rick how many times have you watched the series i watched it through twice once by myself and then i insisted that my wife watch it and i watched it with her 
to see her reaction as much as anything else. And? Oh, we both enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, okay, all right. Happily married. Terrific. This marriage was just saved by Tiger King. Maybe Matt Nagy and Nick Foles should watch Tiger King together and they can salvage that marriage because both of them are full of crap. All right, we will take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine and we'll get another view of what White Sox fans, what White, White Sox journalists and bloggers are thinking about the Tony LaRusa hire. I'm Steve Rosenblum, and he's Mark Rohde. This is Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Quite frankly, as we talked a couple, three weeks ago when we initiated this process, uh, this obviously uh, played out a little differently than I initially described I thought it would for all of you. Uh, When we discovered, when Tony was receptive to Jerry's original overtures about potentially coming back and taking this position, that changed the focus. I don't feel so good. That that was White Sox titular GM Rick Hahn talking about how they reached a consensus as soon as Jerry Reinsdorf said, I want Tony. The consensus was we're going to go get Tony. So Tony Roos is the manager of the Sox. Our next guest has some thoughts on that. Joining us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford on in Melrose Park, is Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine. Josh, thanks for taking time out of what might be a rant, a screed, a scream. What is it you're doing at this point in the week? How do you feel about the Tony La Russa hire becoming official, and how do you see this going forward? Well... As a White Sox fan this week, you only have two options. You could either laugh or you can cry. And I have chosen to just laugh at the uh, the entire situation. <laughs> when I listen to Rick Hahn now, I, I, it's a combination of laughing because he's obviously trying to be professional and explain how this decision came to be, even though he may not agree with this direction for the White Sox as far as the managerial Um, position because this is the guy that his boss wants and he ultimately has to do what his boss wants so he's just going with the flow and you know with la russa you know there was a good conversation this morning on inside the clubhouse between bruce and matt spiegel about as far as strategically is la russa an upgrade over rick renteria and i think la russa managing over five thousand games and winning three world championships that, yeah, he has probably been through almost every situation possible you can be in in the game of baseball today. And I think having that type of experience will help the White Sox and maybe fixes the issue of facing another Game 3 situation like they did against the Oakland Athletics. Maybe La Russa uh, charters through that water much better than Renteria did, and perhaps the White Sox win that postseason game and they move forward to the postseason. But how this decision came to be and the reporting coming afterwards, especially from Jeff Passan of ESPN, about how there are people within the White Sox front office that do not agree with this decision, man, it complicates what this offseason is going to be for the White Sox. And that complication, Steve, is who's really calling the shots and more importantly, outside of manager, the White Sox have to add to this roster. 
who's ultimately going to decide on how much money is going to be spent this offseason and who they are spending that money on? Well, don't you think, and maybe this is naive of me, Josh, don't you think that the pop that of course this was a Reinsdorf production the manager so he he bobs mm-hmm. his head in I believe he bobs his head out now again and the power is back in the hands of of Rick Hahn to continue to do what he has done with the roster whether it was through the draft or through the signing of players so I don't know you don't think that Rick Hahn is gonna make those decisions going forward the reason why I felt LaRusa was a dangerous hire is that in the last nine years, he has been doing Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn's job. And he's been doing it for three separate teams, the Diamondbacks, the Red Sox, and the Angels. So I feel like LaRusa could interject and say, we should go after these guys. I need these players on this roster if we're going to achieve our goals in 2021. So I wouldn't be surprised if Larusa has more say. Now they could, all three of them, could come to some type of agreement on the players that they want to target, and then ultimately go to Jerry Reinsdorf and then ask Jerry, "Hey, we need X amount of money because we all agree we need Michael Brantley, for example." I'm just using Brantley as a hypothetical. Then I could see where that's like a, a team effort. But if Han wants to target someone that Larusa may not feel like is a good fit. I don't think that player is going to sign, and that's where we may have some conflict moving forward. Because uh, if Larusa doesn't think it's a good idea, and Han is not really listening to him, well, what's going to stop Larusa picking up the phone and calling his best friend Jerry Reinsdorf and say, "Jerry, I don't think this is a good idea," right? So yeah. <laughs> this is why I issue. don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's why I don't think it's a good idea. Dad says, no, go talk to mom. That's not going to work. Exactly. Supposedly a hierarchy. Our guest is Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine. We're talking about the White Sox hiring Tony La Russa. Let me me deal with an issue that was much talked about in a lot of different, has a lot of different tentacles, and it was the the player culture, the Sox culture. So here's where I want to focus, is the Sox culture of individuality and, and being, feeling themselves, as the popular kids say. I would argue this, the Sox culture is now marked by choking at the end of the regular season, the first team to clinch a playoff spot, and then ending up with the seventh seed because they got so full of themselves they did not know how to finish. And then they win the opening game of a best of three, and they still haven't won another game against the Raiders or Oakland A's or anybody else. So Sox culture could use some discipline, I would say, something that they weren't apparently getting from Ricky Renteria. Yay or nay? Do you think that's a big deal? Not a big deal? Do you think that's necessary or not? And why, Josh? Well, I think the veterans, is that's something that the veteran White Sox players were making comment on at the end of the regular season, especially Dallas Keuchel and Jose Abreu, admitting that the team lost focus after their big win to clinch a postseason spot against the Minnesota Twins. And that was a huge highlight of the season, winning three out of four against the Twins, splitting that season series with them, and finally clinching a postseason spot. And then they finished 2-8 and in their last 10 games of the regular season. Uh, And then, of course, they bowed out of the postseason. So I think having someone like La Russa, an old-school manager, 
I think will inject some of that discipline that you are speaking to because he has had that experience. Rick Renteria has not had that experience. Joe McEwing had that type of experience as a player, but not much as a bench coach. And Don Cooper, I just think, lost touch with everything, and that's why the White Sox have, uh, have, have moved on from him. So I do think that's where we are going to see a difference uh, as far as ending a regular season and going to the postseason. Where I think the concern is, is how does La Russa work with this clubhouse over a marathon of a regular season? And we'll see what happens. I do think that for Tim Anderson, uh, that he will make that adjustment. And I think the players will be receptive to what Tony La Russa has to say because he has won. And I do think that this team, after what happened in Oakland, they do want to win, and they are hungry to win, and they know that the expectations are going to be high in 2021. We'll just see as far as how the personalities work out, and we'll see if Larusa sends any of the players in the White Sox clubhouse into the doghouse and refuses to play him a couple times of the week and, and see if that causes any type of distractions. But as far as the clubhouse, I think everything will be fine. The bigger issue is what's going on in the front office. Josh, I want to ask you this. The 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 number of, of White Sox fans at the score easily outnumber the, the Cubs fans. And it's been really fascinating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. It's, I, I know. This it's, week. <laughs> dirty little secret at the score. It is a, a White Sox station, believe it or not. So uh, which, has been, which has it, it, it's been, which it, is, which has been, because I love just sitting back and listening to their perspectives because not only are they fans, they are hosts with with influence, no doubt about it. So here's my question for you. In particular, yeah. something that Dan Bernstein said, and I think Lawrence said it as well. But what Dan said was that even if the Sox win with Tony La Russa, it still feels like it'll be tainted and it won't be as enjoyable it's still a very good chance that Tony La Russa will win with the White Sox. I don't know to what extent, but they will be a winning team. I want to ask you, do you feel the same as those guys? That it's it's even if they win, it's gonna it's still not gonna feel as good because it's Tony La Russa. No. I, I think for especially for Chicago fans in general, championships are championships. Let's let's admit it. Patrick Kane has had a sketchy history. And I'll be quite frank, it is hard to root for Patrick Kane at times. Mm-hmm. But when Patrick Kane lifts that Stanley Cup above his head and the Blackhawks win another championship, that seems to go away. So I think if the White Sox do find a way to win the 2021 World Series and LaRusse is on a double-decker bus with Jerry Reinsdorf and they're hosting the World Series uh, championship trophy, I think White Sox fans are going to be good with that. Uh, if we are even allowed to have a parade in 2021. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that will go away. Uh, is How feasible is that dream? We're going to find out. I am not as confident as the Vegas sports books are. I think they're trying to take advantage of White Sox fans with the odds that they're currently throwing up right now and trying to collect as much cash as possible. I don't think this is a 90-win White Sox team at the moment unless they make some drastic uh, additions this offseason. But again, I'm very much wait and see. With the Rusa, I think everything will be okay in the end. But is everything okay between Kenny, Rick, and Jerry? 
and this isn't new. We keep coming back to this every couple of years with these three, and they keep coming back and say everything is fine, but it's hard to believe them. And it was Rick Kahn was not very believable in the press conference introducing Tony Larusa, and uh, I, I'm curious to see what happens in the upcoming months with this off season. On the next Maury, can this marriage be saved? White Sox front office. Yeah. All right, we 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 look forward to getting your thoughts as this rolls on. Josh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for calming down to share everything with us. We appreciate that. No problem. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Be well. Thanks, man. Happy Halloween. Let's do the time warp again. You know what? Instead, we're going to do Wagner. What are you doing, Wagner? We'll take a break. When we come back, we have to discuss a legend and certain other, we have a, a major argument to discuss, a major, a major part. The world of candy is upon us, and we need to try to separate it. And thank God we have a member of the I'm Fat podcast with us to let us know what he thinks. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. We are Saturday Suckage. What are you doing, Wagner's coming up? Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.